Bless the name of Jesus. I hope you've been blessed by the series that we've been doing uh, for the past three weeks. This is now the fourth week, if I'm not mistaken. So we're going into a new season. We're going, it's not just the beginning of a new year, right? Um, but in the spirit realm and, and most, certainly, most certainly in the life of this church and this local assembly, we, we are stepping into a new season. And anytime you step into a new season from the old into the new, then you need, uh, it becomes necessary for you to rightly position yourself. Okay, and so that's the reason for the series that we've, we've embarked on called repositioning. So repositioning in various areas and I was so blessed um, last week Sunday by, Sunday by Pastor Tracy's word um, and I hope that this will also bless you as well. But literally what we want to do is we want to make sure that as a church, as a local assembly, as a body of believers, we, 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 we are of the same mind, we know where we're going, we know what our destination is and that we are all rightly positioned. Amen. We don't want anyone to be left behind. Is that okay? So, so we want to lock arms with you and all of us together in unison and in unity, walking forward and going, going and taking that mountain. Hallelujah. And going into our new season, into, into our destiny, into that which God has for us at this point in time as a local assembly. Is that okay? Yes. Hallelujah, Jesus. So... My, my message this, this morning, um, I'm going to keep it just like me. I'm going to keep it short and sweet. Hallelujah, Jesus. Um, thank you. You're too kind. I'm going to keep it just like me. So my, my, my specific topic that was given to me was repositioning our words with God's word. Repositioning our words with God's word. So I thought about it, and it's, it's a fascinating topic, and, I, and, I, and I, really, I really asked, you know, waited on the Lord, and really thought about it, and really meditated upon it, and I thought, wow, what a fascinating topic, you know, um, repositioning, repositioning our words with God's word. And I thought to myself, you know, okay, so what's the big deal about words anyway? I mean, why? Why the need to reposition our words with God's word? I mean, when we were smaller, we used to say things like, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Right? Uh, another popular one with the kids was, um, uh, I'm like rubber and you like glue. Whatever you say bounces off me and sticks onto you. Right? Uh, so if that's the case, then what's the big deal about words anyway? Why the need to reposition ourselves? What potential impact do our words carry? What are our words able to produce? What do the words we say and the nature of our speech say about where we are spiritually in our walk with Christ? The first step to repositioning our words with God's word is to set a guard over our mouths. Not a G-O-D, a G-U-A-R-D. Amen? To set a guard over our mouths. I don't think there's anything else that gets, well, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to definitely speak from the male perspective. There's nothing else that gets husbands in trouble more than what we say and how we say it. Just yesterday, my wife was telling me, I think it was yesterday. Yes, love? Hello, love. Just yesterday, my wife was telling me, uh, and don't worry, I've already warned her that she'll be mentioned quite a lot in this message. So just yesterday, my wife was telling me, you know, love, it's not what you say. I don't have a problem with what you say. It's how you say it. <laughs> you see, I'm transparent church of God. 
I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm still getting there. I'm still pacing towards the mark of the prize of the high calling that's in Christ Jesus. I know I'm not a finished product yet. But I found it so interesting that that was the comment she made the day before I'm preaching. Hallelujah. <laughs> and so when I thought about it, I said, yeah, you know, it's true. There's nothing that gets us in trouble more often than the words that we say and the way that we say them. And when I began to search the scriptures, I found plenty, plenty of references. So many references, too many, in fact, to ignore. And these are just a few. Proverbs 21 and verse 23, reading from the Amplified Version, says, He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards himself from troubles. You don't need to know the Greek or the Hebrew meaning. What it means in Greek, Hebrew, and English is exactly the same. It means he who guards his mouth and his tongue guards himself from troubles. The less you say, the less, the, the less trouble you're going to get yourself into. It's really as simple as that. Psalm 34 and verse 13. My, one of my favorite guys in the Bible, David the psalmist says, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Same guy. Same, same, same book of the Bible says, this is David speaking to, to the Lord and he says, set a guard over my, over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. I found it fascinating that, that David found it necessary to, to, to actually reach the point where he says, Lord, Lord, I really can't do this on my own. So Heavenly Father, I come before you just as I am. The same guy who says, Lord, search my heart and see if there's any wickedness inside of me. It's the same guy who says, Lord, set a guard over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips. In other words, Lord, when I start to veer off track, when I start to say the wrong thing at the wrong time, in the wrong way, when I start to miss the mark with the words that come out of my mouth, Lord, bring me back in order. Bring me back in check. Bring me back in line. Reposition me once again in the way that I ought to go. These passages of scripture and many more like them all stress the importance of setting in place a guard over our mouths and the words that we speak. Today we watch a lot of things. We watch what we eat and I've recently been the victim of exactly such a campaign inspired by my beautiful wife once again. And she said, love, you know, um, you know I think you're handsome and you know I think you're gorgeous, but yeah, mkabas must fall. And I said, it's fine, it's cool. It's okay. It's okay, love. Uh, we can do this. We can do this. We can take, you know, whatever we need to take and we'll stop eating whatever we need to stop eating. So we watch what we eat. It's, it's something that I think every single one of us, unless, you, unless you've been blessed with amazing genes, at some point in our lives, all of us watch what we eat. We watch how we dress. So once again, my beautiful wife this morning says to me, love, you know what? Are you not going to be wearing a tie? And I'm like, love, but Pastor Paul doesn't always wear a tie. <laughs> And so there's my wife watching how I'm dressing. So we even watch how other people dress and what other people drive, right? But how often do we consciously watch what we say? Hallelujah, Jesus. We're quick to correct our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And there's a place for that, right? Um, the Word of God says that, that God... Those whom he loves, he chastises, right? And there's a place for us to also bring each other back in line, right? And to correct each other and to, and to reprimand each other. There's a place for that. But when we correct each other, are we able to speak the truth in love? Are we able to speak the truth in love? Or are we quick to, to tear down and to make a spectacle of those 
who've, who've maybe just missed the mark just a bit. So with the very same mouth, we have the potential to build up as well as break down. You see, David would have never implored the Lord to set a guard over his mouth and a watch over his lips if he did not know that his words had the potential for both good and evil, honesty and deceit, life and death. And that's the reason why he says what he says to his Savior. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10 says, The one who desires life is there anyone here who desires life? I know I do. To love and to see good days. That's me once again. So if you desire life and if you de desire to love and to see good days, that one must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. So the question then, is an obvious one. How do I keep my tongue from evil and my lips from deceit? Because if that's me, if I desire life, I desire to love and to see good days, I want to know the answer to the question, how do I keep my lips from evil and from deceit? The answer is quite simple, really. You see, we only have one mouth. We only have one tongue. And as, as, as huge as the potential is for, for good and for harm, it, at any given point in time, we can only ever say one thing, right? So it's like when, it's like when I didn't want to use them. I'm not going to use them. I don't want to use Man United, okay? So it's like, when, it's like when your team, whoever it might be, you know, Orlando Pirates, also a bad example. Okay, okay, never mind, never mind. So Team X, it's like when Team X comes up against Real Madrid, right? And there they are. They are confronted with these fantastic, amazing players with skill and that are earning ridiculous salaries. The truth of the matter is, at any given point in time, on the pitch, they are only allowed to put 11 players on that pitch. So no matter how good they are, no matter how much money they have to spend, no matter how many players they acquire over the seasons, at any given point in time, it's still man on man. It's still me versus Messi. Okay, it is Messi, but it's still me against Messi. It's still me against Ronaldo. It's still me one-on-one. -on -one. They can only put 11 players on the pitch. So I got to thinking, Lord, if I'm going to keep my, my, my mouth from, from, from deceit, then, the, then I need to make sure that at any given point in time, the words that come out of my mouth are only pure, are only holy, are only words that give you praise, words that extol you, words that magnify you, words that glorify you, because at any given point in time, there's only going to be space for me to do that one thing. Psalm 149 and verse 6, the King James Version. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. You see, the wonderful thing about his word is it's so simplistic that even a child can understand it. So if my mouth, if I allow my mouth to be filled with his high praises, with constantly, Yahweh, you are worthy. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the author and the finisher, creator of heaven and of earth. You are worthy. Glorify your holy name. I won't have time. 
I won't have space. I won't have energy for lies, for deceit, and for death. But you see, the interesting thing about this is I can't be singing the high praises of a God I don't worship. I can't be singing the high praises of a king I don't submit under. I can't be singing the high praises of a savior that I've never ever come to know as Lord and savior. I can only praise him from a, pro- from a point of reference as knowing him as a provider, knowing him as a healer, knowing him as a way maker, knowing him as the door because me, myself, I've had the opportunity to walk through him who says, I am the door. So we fill our mouths with the high praises of he who, him who we have a relationship with. And that's the difference between Christianity and this walk that we are on versus religion. We are not here for religion. We are not here for law. I might be a lawyer, but I'm not here for law. I'm here for grace. I'm here for mercy. I'm here for intimacy. I want God to see inside of me, like David said, search my heart, O Lord, and see, expose me. If there's any wickedness inside of me, Lord, I don't want it there because I know that sweet and bitter water can't come out of the same stream at the same time. So, Father, if that's me, and if there's anything inside of me that doesn't belong there, that's not of you, that doesn't gel with your Holy Spirit, Father, take it out. Take it out, Lord. Praise can be used as a weapon. We've heard this. We already know this. There's been a, a phenomenal message. Uh, in fact, messages more than one uh, preached by uh, and delivered by Pastor Tracy about how we can use praise as a weapon. And so when we fill our mouths with the high praises of God, we keep evil, deceitfulness, death, and destruction at bay. I've already said it, but it bears mentioning once again, sweet and bitter water cannot come out of the same spring. So we give evil no chance, and we give deceit no place of lodging. We proactively set in place a God over our mouths, and that God is called his high praises. As believers in Christ, we cannot hope to win the lost if they see us prophesy on a Sunday. But when they cross paths with us from Monday to Saturday, our mouths are loosed in evil and our tongues are framed in deceit. Because sweet and bitter water cannot both flow simultaneously from the same spring, our words, our words betray our heart's true condition. I'm going to say it again. Because of the fact, because of the truth, that sweet and bitter water cannot at the same time flow out of the same opening, out of our mouths. What that means is when we speak, and we speak deceit, and we speak death, and we speak destruction, our words that come out of our mouths actually betray the true condition of our hearts. It actually shows the world around us where we actually really truly are at. The scripture says, for out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. Let us meditate on his holy word and daily renew our minds by washing our minds with the water of his word so that we will be able to speak his high praises from from our mouths and from a place of ultimately knowing him intimately as Lord and as Savior Redeemer. So the first step in repositioning our words is to set a guard over our mouths. It's interesting because we have 
We have many interactions during the course of the day with many different types of people, right? I mean, we don't only see each other on a Sunday morning between half past nine and half past 11. I'm pretty sure that we, we, we go to university, right, Nigel? It's Nigel here, there's Nigel at the back. And I also warned him, I also warned him. I told him this morning, I'm gonna mention him a lot. So we go to university, we go to, we go to Technicon. We, some of us go to work, some of us stay at home with our kids. So we, 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 we go out shopping, we need food, so we go, and we, 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 we go into pick and pay and we have all sorts of interactions on a daily basis with all sorts of different individuals. Have we ever evaluated though, have we ever sat back to evaluate the content of the conversations that we have during the course of the day, during these interactions with, with all sorts of people, work colleagues, friends, family members, strangers we meet at the mall? How much of what we say during the course of, of a day would, would you say could quite easily be categorized as idle conversation? Idle conversation. One of the most common ice-breaking topics of conversation, sort of a conversation starter anywhere in the world today is, is the topic of weather, right? If, you, if you're in an, in an elevator, I'm thinking of what Pastor Paul was saying yesterday. So there you are in an elevator and you've got the stranger standing next to you and you're both going up to the, to the 33, 33rd floor and you're on ground floor and you're like, yeah, this is awkward, eh? There isn't even elevator music here. So like, yeah. Yeah, this weather, eh? Yeah. Yeah, apparently we yeah, the, yeah apparently we're having yeah, a few more days of drought, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's hot. Yeah, that's what I said, yeah, yeah, the weather. <laughs> very common, very common icebreaker, very common topic of conversation, especially amongst people who aren't that familiar with each other. Another popular topic of conversation amongst married couples, and I know this for a fact, you can check my WhatsApp uh, uh, chat history. So what's for supper tonight comes up just about every, every single day amongst conversations with married couples. So what's for supper tonight, love? Right? Um, and can you please pick up eggs on your way home, please? Milk, bread, sugar, millies. You know, whatever it is, right? Another popular topic of conversation. Amongst work colleagues, it's usually something along the, along the lines of, yeah, how bad is this, e this economy, right? Yeah, no, this economy is bad. Another one is, yeah, hey, it's bad how little we get paid, no? Yeah, those fat cats sitting up there, yeah, we do all the work. Yeah, we're earning peanuts, guys, we're earning peanuts. Hmm? How he spends up his life. Do you know that a, a trolley of groceries from pick and pay in 1996 used to cost 305 rand? A full trolley of groceries? Man, life is expensive. Popular topic of conversation. One of the more recent ones is, yeah, these, these politicians are crazy, yeah. Yeah, these white shirts, yo, they're crazy, man. The topic of God, Jesus, and salvation hardly ever come up unless we deliberate about it. So God's word, his living and active word, is something that very rarely actually comes up in, in conversation. And that's a shame because we're walking this walk together, we're on this path together, and there comes a point where we need to ask ourselves, where are we positioned in relation to God's word?
Not where are we positioned in relation to whatever the latest politicians have been up to. Not where are we positioned in, in relation to the state of the rand versus the dollar versus the pound versus the euro, whether it's 16 rand 50, how much petrol actually really costs, nobody even really knows anymore. All we do is pull up and just say, fill it up, Baba. Just, just fill it up. I'll feel the pinch later. Just, just fill it up. Matthew 12 and verse 36 says, But I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will have to give an account for every careless or useless word they speak. That's the Bible. That's not Stuart. That's not my own interpretation. That's the word of, the, of, of our living God. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will have to give an account for every careless or useless word that they speak. Why? Because God in his very nature is incapable of speaking words that fall in this category of either being careless or useless without a purpose. You can search the scriptures from cover to cover. You can, you can go home this evening and read your Bible from, from Genesis 1 to, to Revelation, whatever. You will not find a single passage of scripture or a single word that you can come and say, Stuart, you know what? When I read the scripture, I can actually categorize this as careless and without any purpose. It doesn't exist. So God, by his very nature, in his very makeup, is incapable of producing words that are careless and without a purpose. Isaiah 55 and verse 11 says, So will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void. Void being useless and without a result. Without accomplishing what I desire. And without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Literally what that scripture says is, God will not utter a word, speak a word, and that word is just going to return to him without having accomplished what it was sent to do. It won't return to him useless. It won't return to him empty. It won't return to him with the job half done. This is another area where I unfortunately fall quite short quite a lot of the time. Right? So my wife will tell me, listen love, um, this is what, you, what I need you to get when you're coming back from work. Right? We need bread, we need milk, we need cheese, we need eggs. And I say, okay love, bread, milk, cheese, eggs. And as I'm driving, I'm thinking, bread, milk, cheese, eggs. Bread, milk, cheese, oh, no, no, bread, milk, cheese, eggs. Bread, milk. Right? Because you have to put a, you have to put like some, some swag on it, right? So you can remember, bread, milk, cheese, eggs. Bread, milk, cheese, eggs. And then I come in and I see Capital Craft, and then I don't know what happens. And anyway, I walk out of spa with cheese curls, uh, hot dog rolls, and. <laughs> And I pitch up and she's like, but you've returned to me, but you've returned to me void. You haven't accomplished the thing that I sent you out to do in the first place. You've come back and it's been mission fail. The thing that I sent you to do, the thing that I instructed you to do, you haven't done that thing. There isn't bread, milk, cheese, and egg. There's Rice Krispies and cheese curls and... <laughs> Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. For the word of God is living and active and full of power, making it operative. This, by the way, is the, is the amplified version, one of my favorite versions. For the word of God is living and active and full of power, making it operative, energizing, and effective. 
making it operative, energizing, and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as the division of the soul and spirit, the completeness of a person, and of both joints and marrow, the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and judging the very thoughts and intentions of the heart. David knew what he was saying when he said, search my heart, O Lord, because he knew that the, that, that God by his very nature, according to his holy word, has the type of word that searches you, that judges you, even the very thoughts and intentions of your heart. And so God's words are and have the following attributes and characteristics. God's words are alive. They are active. They are purposeful. They are connected to his heart and what he desires. They are unwavering, full of power. They are surgical in nature. His words have a surgical precision. What that means is they never ever miss the mark. They never ever do a job halfway. The task is never ever 99.9% .9 complete. His words are surgical in nature. They are effective in completing the assigned task. You see, the word of God will not return prematurely like Stuart coming back from spa. It will only return after having done what it was sent to accomplish. And so as believers who trust in his word, who look to his word for, for issues concerning life and daily living, we ourselves need to then reposition our words from idle and useless chatter about the weather, politicians, sports, and the like. We need to reposition our idle conversation away from those things and reposition it in line with God's word, words that are set to achieve God's kingdom agenda. Words that are connected to his heart. Hallelujah, Jesus. Point number three. Faithful declarations. Reading from Matthew chapter 8. Once again, reading from the Amplified. And I'm sure you know this story quite well, not because you live in Centurion. But we've heard this, we've heard the story, we've heard the story so many times, even in Sunday school, right? So the story goes as follows, as Jesus went into Capernaum, a centurion came up to him, begging him for help and saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed with intense and terrible tormenting pain. Jesus says to him, I will come and I will heal him. His response is quite surprising. The centurion turns around and he says, Lord, I am not worthy for you to enter into my home. Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. However, he doesn't stop there. He says, Lord, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. Now, we've heard quite a lot from Pastor Paul and, and from various other speakers about the difference between prayers and supplications and declarations of faith. 
right there's a difference between saying lord um my, my servant is really ill will you please heal him um i just believe jesus that you know even as we're standing here on this dust you know that you're able to do it um yeah i just call upon upon you in all of your power please do it jesus if it's your will jesus you know um yeah you just make it possible because you desire to heal him so 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 if it's possible jesus you know those are prayers and supplications right he doesn't say that. He says, only say the word and my servant will be healed. He will be healed. He's actually making a declaration to Jesus, the son of the living God. He says, when you say the word, my servant will be healed. That's the only equation I'm interested in. Jesus, when you, once you say the word, just say the word, Lord, and he will be healed. Where does this come from? Let's read on. In verse 9, for I also am a man subject to authority of a higher rank, with soldiers subject to me. And I say to the one, go, and he goes. And to the other, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those who were following him, I tell you truthfully, I have not found such great faith as this with anyone in Israel. And Jesus says to the centurion, moving on to verse 13, go and it will be done for you as you have believed. And, that very, and the servant was restored to health on that very hour. You see, this guy was familiar with the principle of authority because he was in an army and because he had a rank he understood the way authority worked now there's a difference between power and authority okay authority power is some guy who's bigger stronger than me might be able to run me over push me over because he's more powerful than me that's power right it's usually attributed to physical strength however the way that it works in an army the way that it works in the police force is the way that it works in the military the way that it works in the navy is you might be bigger taller stronger faster than me but if i'm a general and you are mang mang <laughs> then when i say hop you say hop it's got nothing to do with your power I'm the general I've got the stripes I carry the authority it's exactly the same principle you have this teeny tiny little traffic officer 5 foot 5 50 kgs Mrs. whoever whoever and you've got this 10 20 ton truck 16 wheeler made by mercedes-benz south africa hallelujah jesus <laughs> coming towards her and with a little five foot five self she stands in the middle of a highway and she all she does is this <laughs> if it was a matter of power she she literally has no chance of surviving but because she carries with her the weight of the authority of the municipality in that region and ultimately the weight of the law of the government of the republic of south africa with a little five foot five self she stands there confidently knowing that when she does that 
that truck will stop. That's the difference between power and authority. And this guy realizes that, he recognizes that. And so he says, Lord, you don't even need to come to my home. I understand the way authority works. I understand where sickness, illness, death, where they rank according to you. I understand the authority that you have. So that when you say, be healed, he will be healed. Lord, I've traveled all this way to meet you here on this dusty road. By now, it's even possible that he's passed away. If that's the case, it's all right. Because I understand the principle of authority. So even if in my absence and on my journey to get to you, he's passed away in the meantime, it's still okay. Because sickness, death, the grave, hell, I know where they rank in relation to you and in relation to your authority i know the power of your healing i know the power of your word and the word of your power i know that when you say rise he will rise once again even from the tomb he understood the principle of authority and because he understood god's word and he understood the principle of authority he was able to speak and declare in faith with a declaration of faith that said, Jesus, just say the word and everything's going to be okay. In this time of repositioning ourselves and realigning ourselves, we need, as a church of Jesus Christ, of local believers, we need to get to the point where we say, you know what, Lord? Yes, I know about the economy. Yes, I know about Juju. Yes, Lord, I know about all of these things that are going on, the petrol price, the price of bread, bread fixing, price fixing. I know it all, Lord. But Lord, I also know where your authority ranks. I also know where your authority ranks. Yes, Lord, they turned me down. Yes, Lord, they said I wasn't good enough. But Lord, I know that you are the one who qualifies the called. You don't call the qualified. So yes, Lord, I know my CV looks a little bit thin. Yes, Lord, I know I've been applying for quite a long time for a job and I haven't got any news. I haven't got any feedback. I haven't been promoted, Lord. But Father, I understand the principle of authority. And the principle of authority simply says this, that if you say the word, regardless of CV, what, what, mang, mang, whoever's in charge, Indian, white, black, green, yellow, Lord, you will give me favor with them and they won't even know why. They won't even know why they like me. They, don't, they won't even know why they've elevated my CV. I won't even have the necessary qualifications, Lord. And where you lead me and where you guide me and when you take me, you sustain me, Father. I won't mess up. I won't embarrass myself because I've got you carrying me under the strength of your wings because of the authority that's in Jesus' name. <laughs> Hallelujah, Jesus. Mark 11 and verse 22, 22 to 25. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be thou cast into the sea, and does not doubt. The key to that scripture is does not doubt. That's why it's emboldened the way that it is and does not doubt in his heart. You see, the only ability that Satan really has, the only quote-unquote weapon that he really has, is he comes to you and he basically just suggests things to you. 
So he knows that if you believe and you say to the mountain, be cast into the sea, then that's exactly what's going to happen. So all he does is he comes to you and he says, but did God really say that? Are you sure? Are you sure that that's what he really said? Are you sure that he really meant that for now? Are you sure that you didn't misinterpret, misunderstand? Are you sure that Pastor Tracy was on target when she said, that's all he can do. All he can do is whisper lies and deceit and try to the best of his, uh, to, uh, to the best of his ability to sow seeds of doubt in your mind. Because he knows that the prerequisite, the only prerequisite is that you do not doubt. That's the only thing you have to do. You can't have faith that God's going to do something and simultaneously doubt whether he will or he won't. Then you're not in faith anymore. And then it's not going to happen anymore. And does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says, whatever he declares. You will have, go Christian church, I declare to you this morning, on the 12th of February 2017, you will have whatever you say you will have. You will have whatever you declare in the spirit realm. If you believe that God in, in his power and in his might is able to take your words and add his authority to those words, then whatever you say you will have in Jesus' name. All you need to do is believe. All you need to do is have faith. Yes. We need to reposition our words from doubt and unbelief to faith-filled declarations and unwavering trust in God. Just like the centurion who got healing from his servant because of how he spoke in faith, we too will have what we say when we reposition our words to become faith-filled declarations. Point number four. So every second of every day, words are being spoken over our lives by many different voices and many different sources, right? Um, whether it's the demonically inspired lies of the enemy that is trying to whisper in your ear, whether it's the opinions of our family members, our friends, or our colleagues at work, whether it's messages from the world or the media at large, or whether it's words from our Heavenly Father Himself, every second of every day, at any given point in time, there, are, there is a plethora of words being spoken over your life, Lena. There's a bunch of people saying a bunch of stuff about you. There's no point in saying, wow, my, my ears are itchy today, on the 12th of February, someone must be saying something about me. No, 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 no. Don't doubt it. Somewhere, somehow, whether it's the enemy, whether it's family, whether it's friends, whether it's God himself speaking over you, someone is always saying something about you. Matthew, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 and verse 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And so they replied, some say John the Baptist. So on Facebook there was a post and they were saying on Facebook, I think he's John the Baptist, guys. On Instagram there was another post saying, no, I think he's Elijah. ENCA was on. 
And there was a broadcast that were going out saying, no, he's actually Jeremiah. In a corner somewhere, uh, seated, having, having a conversation about many other things. There were, they were a group of educated, so-called educated guys, and they were of the opinion that he was one of the prophets. So all over the globe, in different places, in different times, there were a bunch of people who had a bunch of different things to say about who he was. Verse 15. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answers him and says, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Verse 17. Jesus replied and said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. There's a lot being said by many different voices and many different sources. But we are his sheep, first and foremost. And he is our shepherd. And as his sheep, we ought to know our master's voice. We are his sheep. And when he speaks as our shepherd, we ought to be able to distinguish what the world has to say, what social media has to say, what our friends and family have to say from his voice. We ought to say, we ought to stand to attention and say, this is now our shepherd speaking. You see, when Peter answered Jesus, Jesus instantly recognized the voice behind Peter's response. Look at that passage of scripture again. Instantly as Peter replies, Jesus recognizes instantly the voice behind the response. So it's not so much that Jesus was saying, yeah, Peter, you've really got it together. Well done. That is on point, boy. Well done. Ten points for you. You are now ahead of Judas. Okay, you're way ahead of Judas. But anyway, okay, so ten points for you. No, it wasn't because of that. It's because he recognized that what that, that, that response that came from Peter was revealed to Peter by, by the Father. He recognized the Father's voice in Peter's response. He, he literally recognized, this is not si uh, Simon Peter, son of Jonah speaking. He realized that this is Father, Heavenly Father, speaking, giving Simon Peter this revelation. So he recognized the voice behind Peter's response. It's up to you and I to decide which words to accept and which to reject, which to align ourselves to and which to distance ourselves from. You see, we need to reposition our words from a place of natural understanding because Simon Peter could have given that answer out of his own intellect, out of his natural capabilities, out of his natural understanding, out of his experience of having walked with Jesus thus far. So we need to move away, reposition our words from a place of natural understanding and experience to a place of spiritual revelation. When we speak into people's lives, it ought to be as we are led by the Holy Spirit and as God the Father reveals words of wisdom and words of knowledge for us to speak and deposit into those people's lives. We're talking about repositioning ourselves from what the world says to what God says through his word. Next slide. So the world says... 
we are not worthy. And when the world says that we are not worthy, God says, I am your righteousness. And because I am your righteousness, you are worthy. The world looks at us and says to us, we don't measure up. God looks at you and he says, I qualify the cold. Whether you measure up or not in the natural means, means nothing to me really. Because I qualify those that I call. I don't need you to measure up first. I don't need you to perform first. I don't need you to do A, B, and C first. I qualify the called. The world looks at us and says our sin is too great. And God looks at us and says my grace is sufficient for you. The world says we are defeated. God says we are victorious. The world says we are destined for poverty. When Jesus looks at us, he says, my child, you are blessed in the city and you are blessed in the field. You are blessed when you go in and you are blessed when you come out. So in repositioning our words, we need to decide today. We need to make the decision today. With whose words are we going to align ourselves this morning? Are we going to align ourselves to what the world says about us? To what popular media might say about us? To what the enemy's got to whisper in our ear? Or are we going to step back and align ourselves according to what God's word says? His spoken word and his written word this morning. John chapter 12 verse 49 to verse 50 reading from the Amplified. For I have never spoken on my own initiative or authority and I'm finishing now this is point number five emulating Jesus I have never ever spoken on my own initiative or my own authority but the father himself who sent me has given me a commandment regarding what to say and what to speak I know that his commandment is eternal life. So the things I speak, I speak in accordance with his exact instruction. Just as the Father has told me. In repositioning our words in relation to God's word, I implore you this morning. If there's any shadow of doubt about how you ought to go about this, the answer is very simple. All you need really do is emulate Jesus' example. That's all you really need to do. Don't look for the Hebrew. Don't look for the Greek. All you need to really do is look at scripture and see. Do what Jesus did. And what did Jesus do? He says, I won't do anything unless I see the Father in heaven do it. I won't say anything unless I say exactly according to what he's instructed me to say. In other words, what he says, I will say. That's where it starts and that's where it ends. I won't have my own opinion. I won't have my own view. I won't have plan B and option C. I'll say only what he says to tell me to say to his people. When you don't know what to say or how to say it, emulate Jesus. And say what you hear the Father say. And do what you see the Father do. You will never stray outside of his will if you never stray away from his words. You will never ever stray outside of the will of God if you never ever stray from his words. Matthew chapter 4. And then Jesus, and when, and when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones to 
be made into bread. But he answered, Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the living God. If you're in any doubt about what you ought to do to realign your words with God's word, Jesus gives the perfect example. Jesus answers Satan and he says to him, It is written. Not Satan, I'm of the view that. Not Satan, according to Aristotle. Not Satan, according to popular belief. He says, Satan, it is written in the living word of God. And that's my only point of reference. I won't say anything other than what he says, and I won't say anything other than what's written in his word. It is written. And that's the end of the discussion. As we reposition our words, we will need to, to be like the man depicted in Psalm 1, who meditates on and delights in God's word day and night. We will have to study to show ourselves approved. You see, you can't call upon what's written in God's word if you never make the time and the effort to set aside quiet time and meditate upon his word, to meditate upon his written word. You can't stand like Jesus stood, facing the enemy face to face and say, it is written. If you haven't set aside that time from your busy schedule to take his holy word and meditate upon it day and night. Job says, I need his words more than my necessary food. More than my necessary food. I don't know what you think you need in this day and age, in today's times. But Job, in the midst of all his affliction, says, I need God's word more than my necessary food. I implore us this morning, as we look at repositioning our words with God's word, let's say only what God says, and let's declare only what is in his written and his holy word. Thank you so much, Pastor Paul.